0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. How many of you are familiar with the, the, the old TV, I don't know if it's a sitcom, it wasn't a sitcom, uh, but it was an old TV comedy, The Beverly Hillbillies? Okay, yeah, I think any of us, uh, it, uh, for those of you who were afraid to raise your hands, um, or young enough who really don't know what I'm talking about, it was, it was a comedy, but it, it was... Um, Interesting that the idea behind it is that there's this guy from the hill country. They didn't really specify where he was from, I don't think, but that's right. It's in the song, isn't it? Anyway, um, um, yeah, but so, see, very much backwoods hick is the way he's portrayed. Out hunting, shoots his gun and hits oil. Oil comes spurting up from the ground and now he's, you know, a multimillionaire. So because all rich people live in Beverly Hills, they pick up and move to Beverly Hills, and so for years, that's the basis of their series about how this family fits within this community within Beverly Hills. The premise, for me, the underlying premise, I don't know that it's stated anywhere, but the underlying premise of that is that we're not going to let lots of money change us. We are who we are, we're always going to stay this way, and we're not changing, um, so the, the, you know, the idea of their, they maintain their backward ways while at the same time possessing great wealth. It's an it was a pretty fun series. <clears throat> More recently, some of you may be familiar with this series, Downton Abbey. <clears throat> I've been very intrigued with the character of Tom. Tom was the, <clears throat> started off as the chauffeur. Actually, he was a, a, a stand-in. He was, he was not even... <clears throat> excuse me. He kind of was a replacement. So he's the chauffeur, ends up falling in love with one of the daughters of the family and marries her. And all of a sudden he goes from being a downstairs employee to an upstairs employer. And what's interesting is to watch through the series is that how his behavior had to change because of his role was changing. And even within the family, to, you treated people differently based upon their position in society and also within the, the household. There was there's definitely there was upstairs families and, and downstairs uh, people as well. And it wasn't easy, it was very difficult, and everyone treated him differently, even the people who, who were used to be, you know, who were his downstairs colleagues, now that he was upstairs, um, you know, living with the, the family they treated him differently. So for a while, he was kind of like a person without a place within that household. <clears throat> what we see in these characters, you know, whether it's Clampetts or families within Downton Abbey or even just within our own families and neighborhoods, is that our behavior is often based on our self-identity. How do we see ourselves? In many ways, the way we live our life, it is an outgrowth of self-perception. I mean think about that if you see yourself as being strong and capable how do you usually behave with confidence you know and they're outgoing and but if you see yourself as flawed and insufficient how do you behave in that regard shy sometimes even introverted you certainly don't want to be conspicuous in front of other people Well, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's been attempting to shape the identity of those in Christ. He's trying to get them to look at that. Wait, you're not this, you're this. And, you know, like we we saw in these TV shows and other characters, sometimes there's an unwillingness to change. Paul is telling us, no, 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 you get to change. This isn't some kind of a requirement. He is not trying to tell them what they have to do. He's saying that this is this is really what's available to you. Now, we have to remember that in, in Ephesians, when Paul is writing to this group, he's writing to first century Gentiles who live in a part of the world which is present-day Turkey. Okay, so that part of the, in the part of the Mediterranean. Ephesus was once considered the most important Greek city. It was the most important trading center in the entire Mediterranean region. It was, in some ways, it was kind of like the New York City of the Mediterranean. It was the place to be <clears throat> with regard to power and prominence in culture. Hellenistic culture focused on pleasure. Everyone wanted pleasure. They wanted to be happy and enjoy themselves. They were still under the occupation of Rome. And Rome, if you know anything, might makes Right. Power, prestige was part of the culture. And, but interesting, though, power, prestige came from position. So titles were a big deal. People liked titles because it made them feel important. And what Paul, in his letter to this Ephesians group who are living within this cultural environment, he's trying to convince them that there's another way to live your life, a better way to live. To Paul, those who are in Christ, <clears throat> He wanted them to understand that they were chosen by the Father. So sometimes we find ourselves in life, we're almost by default. We're born into certain family and circumstances. Or some things are beyond our control. <clears throat> and Paul was telling us, no, no, no. When it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your relationship with God, he chose you. You are incredibly special. We've been redeemed by Jesus. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are saved from this world by God's effort, not our efforts, not our own work, but God is at work in you and through you. It's Him who's doing it for you. In Colossians, another letter he sent to another group talking about the same type of thing, he says, Take off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian. There's no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Your identity is in Christ. It's not a national identity. It's not a cultural identity. It's not even your own personal identity anymore. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And now as we get to uh, chapter 4, Paul's tone shifts a bit. And uh, instead of trying to tell them, all right, no, you're in Christ, that here's who you are, here's how God sees you, the shift changes a little bit, and he he begins to say that knowing Jesus isn't enough. Our knowledge of him must change how we live. Our new identity in Christ should impact every area of our life. So if this is your identity, you should behave accordingly, is what Paul was saying. so the passage I want to look at here is in Ephesians chapter 4 I'm going to read verses I'm going to look at all of the chapter but only um, not, not, not from verse 1 to verse 32 I'm going to skip a section in the middle but so I'm starting verse 1 as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now jump down to verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you... Heard, surely. Heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words from Paul from this letter as he's encouraging those followers, Lord, and encouraging the people in Ephesus to live differently, that because they're in Christ, that, that there's, there are some expectations, that there's some realities about this new identity. Lord, help us to understand that, that we might be able to make application to our own lives today. Uh, so, Lord, guide our, our conversation here the next few minutes, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, last night, I went. Uh, I went to uh, watch a football game with uh, <clears throat> uh, some of you know uh, uh, Ro- Roberta's grandson, um, Kershan Gabriel. So he's twelve years old, and his team is playing. Um, City League or County, it's part of the County Youth of Association Football League. Uh, he made the, the league championship, league championship games they were playing last night. And uh, it was a great game. It was, they won. Uh, so they are the city champions and uh, it was, uh, <clears throat> so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, I enjoyed watching. It was, uh, it was great to hear his name in the loudspeaker. I'm making the taco, Kershawn Gabriel. Um, Roberta's not a quiet grandmother at these things. <laughs> uh, she was into it. Um, and especially within your grandson, you know, and so she was one proud grandmother. And, uh, we, we had a lot of fun watching, watching him play. What's funny though, being there brought back for me a lot of memories of the days when my oldest was playing football at that age and, um, What's interesting is I often found myself emotionally conflicted at his games. Um, you, know, we, you know, you're 10, 11, 12 years old, and we've spent literally years and years trying to shape their behavior. You know, and so be nice to your little brother. You know, you know be gentle with your sister. She's smaller than you. You know, and so you're doing all these things to try to shape their behavior in a certain way, but then you get to these games and you hear yourself saying, get them, hit them, get them, you know, and, and you're, the emotion and you realize, you realize the, the inconsistency and in kind of what you're, you're, you're asking yourself to, you're asking them to do and so you find yourself a little conflicted but still a little proud at the same time, don't we, when uh, you see them do that. But football, notwithstanding, as parents, we have expectations for how we want our kids to behave. We do. We want them to behave in certain ways. We want, to, we want them to treat people a certain way. We want them to be respectful. We want them to have the right attitudes. We want them to have the right actions in their, in their dealings with other people. We want, to, we want them to behave a certain way around others, even when we're not there, that we have the sense that they're able to behave in a certain way. Um... One of the ways I would express my displeasure when they didn't live up to my expectations uh, was to have a little conversation with them. And I'd I'd add on at the very end, you're better than this. You're better than this. So yes, I want to, I I wasn't, the the behavior wasn't acceptable, but I know I wanted them to think like they were unacceptable. I want them to realize there's a gap. They should be up here because that's who they are. That's who they should be. At the very beginning of this chapter, Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the calling. That's what he's talking about. Live a life worthy of the calling. You've been called by God. Live a life that's worthy of that calling. He's not trying to enforce a lifestyle of rules and regulations. He's not saying, all right, in order to make God happy, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. He's not saying that. He's trying to raise their behavior to a higher level, to a higher standard worthy of the calling. He's telling them, you're better than this. You're better than they are out in culture, in your society. Christ followers who have been called by Jesus, you're better than that. And he gives us some idea of what that should look like. In the passages we just read, one of the things he talks about, what it means to, be, to live a life that's worthy of the calling, is to, be, or is to cultivate healthy relationships. cultivate healthy relationships. Over the years, I've, uh, I've come to appreciate the manner in which uh, Betsy puts a high value on relationships. Not just our relationship, but with others as well. Um, there's been times, on, on some occasions, not often, but there's been certain occasions where I've observed her, set aside her own feelings, her own preferences, her own thoughts, and this deferring to the other person. And, you know, me being me, I'll make some sarcastic comment, you know, about her caving in, you know, and doing something like that. And she'll sometimes make a response something like, like, she, she says, I don't look at it that way. Her thought is that this relationship is really important to me. And I don't want anything, something insignificant to damage that. Sometimes you have to care more about the relationship than you do about getting things your way. Huh. I like that. Cultivate healthy relationships. Paul mentions four qualities necessary uh, to build healthy relationships. He mentions the word humility be humble, live humbly with one another, serve others and place their needs before your own. He mentions the word gentleness be kind and easy to get along with. Patience is another word he uses. Be slow to anger and give grace to other people. All of this is out of a heart of love where you give to others and you live to be a blessing. Notice that a a couple of times in the passage, he said, God is doing this for you, not so that you can be happy and, and better off. He's doing this for you so that you can be an influence on others, so that you can be a blessing to others. So those who are worthy cultivate healthy relationships. Those who are worthy of the calling also pursue unity. He says, make every effort to keep the unity. There is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Unity is a big deal for Paul. What he's saying to them is, we're in this together. We're in this together. Let's live that way. Um, One of the things I try to get across to my students, and I teach a class on conflict management, Um, one of the things I get across very early on is that conflict is normal. It is. Conflict is normal. How we deal with conflict is where we get into trouble. You understand the difference? The fact that you and I disagree on something is just, we just disagree. We have different ways of looking at it. That in and of itself is not problematic how you and I respond to that difference of opinion perspective, that's where we run into all these other issues and we run into problems. I'm convinced that if people are together long enough, it's not a question of if they have conflict, it's a question of when they have conflict. <clears throat> I can actually make a case, theologically, that conflict is God's fault because he made us all different. He made us diverse. We have different opinions. We have things. So the idea that we're going to disagree is inevitable. But again, how we handle that is where sin enters in and where things fall off the rails and where we, we lose our, our, our pace. But the fact that we have disagreements and the fact that we have differences of opinions, that in and of itself is not a problem. Paul is talking about this, and he says that in spite of our differences, Paul tells us, that we are charged to work toward unity that values every individual. So don't be afraid of the fact that we have a disagreement or we have a problem or things don't go their way. Now, we're told often uh, in life that we're ne- we should never make assumptions. Making an assumption is a bad thing to do, right? I mean, I, we seem to bear the brunt of that when things turn out. There are two assumptions I want, when it comes to relational dynamics Two assumptions I think that will always work in your favor if you make these assumptions. One of the assumptions is this whenever there's an issue with someone else, one assumption is assume positive intent. Assume they tried to do the right thing, they just made a mistake. Don't assign um, intentionality to it, a value like they did this because they're mad at me, they did this because they want to hurt me, they did this because they're unfair. Don't go down that path. Assume they really wanted to do their thing. They just screwed up. They just made an honest mistake. So go in with that conversation, with that that assumption, and the dynamic is completely different. The second assumption in that regard is this. Assume you do not have all the information. Assume you don't have all the information. So what happens then, if uh, Len and I, there's something there, I approach him, not accusing him, you see, if I think I have all the information, I'm going to approach it. and say, all right, why did you do this? What's wrong with you? Right. Which, right away, anytime any of us, our, our first reaction is to get defensive. And it just escalates from there. It goes on, and on. As opposed to if I assume I don't have all the information, Len, here's what happened. Here's how I'm perceiving this. What am I missing? What was, walk me through your, you're going looking for information, and you can have a really healthy conversation. And it just ends up being much, much better than as opposed to I think I already know the answers and I know he's got ill will towards me so I'm going to approach it that way and it just from the very beginning is going to be bad. So two assumptions when it comes to unity. Assume positive intent and assume you don't have all the information you need to make a proper decision. So cultivate healthy relationships, pursue unity. And a third behavior of those worthy of the calling is choose godliness you must no longer live as the Gentiles do they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more interesting word usage there so Paul uses the word sensuality he uses the word impurity and he uses the word lust it's pretty obvious what he's talking about here is moral impurity there's a moral issue. I also think it's interesting he's, he's not speaking to one gender. He's speaking to both men and women. This idea of being morally pure. Um, so, and in, in how many of you like chemistry? I know we have a few of you all right there. So, what happens... I'm going to come down here. What happens when you have, let's say, an element... I've got a jar of water here. And you put, so this is pure water. Now what happens when I would actually put one little, you know what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent the second letter, which is actually First Corinthians. Um, it still didn't work. We actually know from Second Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts, but he, in Second Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And uh, <clears> there <throat> so was a come-to-Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And we know from Second Corinthians and the content that we've seen there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different they finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and, and laugh at some goofy videos. and um, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So, God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. <clears throat> Father, if there's anyone here who's feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe if things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been, and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and they, they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So Father, we thank you again for this day. And Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. And Sometimes we, we don't ask. We go by our feelings and emotions and what we want and our desires as opposed to, you know, what is the right thing to do here? A third component of, of a life who wants to honor God and worthy of that calling is a life that is disciplined and has self-control. I was really good with the first two. This third one is really... Uh, I was like, really, feral, we want to mention that? Can't we just leave cross that one off? Um, I think I think all of us struggle with that one, the uh, idea of being disciplined and self-control. Lastly, those who are worthy of the calling embrace transformation. <clears throat> I remember the first time I got to sit at the big table. You know, the family reunions, the family meetings, and you've got all the adults, and you got all the kids. You know, the brothers and sisters and the cousins are all over here, and... Remember the one time I got to sit with the adults, how excited I was because that's, I, mean, that's, I was the oldest in my family. I was also the oldest of the other cousins. So um, it, it was, I was first in line to have that experience. What was interesting, though, is that afterwards my dad pulled me aside and uh, you know, I really wasn't expecting anything. But he said, if you want to sit with the adults, you have to behave like the adults. Huh. <laughs> that was a novel idea for me. And he pointed out a couple of instances, instances during the meal when my behavior didn't measure up. Now, I really like sitting with the adults. You know, the idea of that, you know, more mature, more growing up. I didn't have to sit with my brother and sisters and cousins. And so I quickly learned that if I wanted to continue to sit with the adults at the big table, my behavior had to change. <clears throat> I had to transform my behavior. And that's what Paul's telling the people here in Ephesus. Yes, you've been saved. This isn't about your salvation. It isn't about your standing with God. This isn't about earning God's love. That's all there. It's all there. You are chosen and called by God. Absolutely. Now behave in a manner worthy of that calling. The process of transformation, of putting off wrong attitudes and actions, renewing the mind, and putting on right attitudes and actions. It's all part of what it loves to look like. One of the best examples of this combination of the spiritual conversion and the physical action uh, can be seen as the act of water baptism. Uh, I don't know where, you, where some of you are, some of you have. We're actually going to be having a water baptismal during the service here in three weeks, December 8th. Right now, we've got three people who have signed up to be baptized. It's going to be really, really cool. I'm so excited about that. If you haven't been baptized yet and want to, come talk to me um, after the service. Um, I know one of the persons uh, who is being baptized uh, said that I was, a, as a child, I was baptized. I don't know if it was an infant baptism, but he said I was so young, it really didn't matter. You know, it didn't have any effect. And he said, I want to be baptized because now. I'm, I'm conscious, you know, of everything. And it's an adult decision. And so they're going to be, so, it's a really cool thing that we're going to have a chance to experience um, in, in a few weeks. It's, you know, this idea, the physical act of going underwater. But it's also the symbolic act of dying with Christ. There's a spiritual transformation. Something special happens when a person's baptized. So again, if you haven't been baptized and would like to, come see me after the service and um, we'd love to have a chance to um, to baptize you uh, here in three weeks. The call of Jesus, the call for all of us is to follow him. Beyond professing him as our savior, we are called to follow Jesus. His life in us must change who we are and how we live here and now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you, Father, for all of uh, the blessings you give us. Thank you, Lord God, that, that your love is not conditioned on our behavior. You don't love us any less when we misbehave, nor do you love us any more when we do something nice and we do something well. Father, your love um, is steadfast. But Father, as your children, there is an expectation that we behave in a way that's worthy of that calling, worthy of that role, worthy of that birth. So Lord, help us in those areas of our life where we may fall short, where we might not live to that standard that we see in Christ. So Father, we commit ourselves to your purposes this day. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would work in our hearts in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, Do I pray